Psalm 84 is where we're at today. I'm going to read it, and then we will begin. If you'd like to stand, you can stand as we read God's Word. Uh, Psalm 84, and I'm going to read all 12 verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Father, we want you to put this same desire in us. God, put this same joy in our hearts. God, put the same excitement and compulsion to worship and to praise. God, teach us, teach us about the connection of praise to our Christian life. God, make us a worshiping people. Make us a worshiping church. Father, teach us from your word and help us to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the context of Psalm 84 may be a little bit difficult for us to uh, kind of get our heads around because we, we don't have anything similar in our day and age. And so in, 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 the, in the day and age of the psalmist, they, this would have been very familiar to them, everybody making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay, so that's kind of what the Psalm 84 is about, is it's about the journey to the temple to worship, right? And so just kind of picture in your mind, aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody kind of making plans, getting ready to caravan. When are you leaving? Hey, where are you guys going to stop? Where are you going to camp at the first night? You know, what time are you planning on being there? Where are you going to stay when you get to Jerusalem? You know, making all these plans, big event, maybe the family taking a couple weeks to get this done. But everybody going to the temple for their kind of yearly sacrifice, their feast, or maybe it was a different feast, but, but going to the temple in order to worship the Lord. So, so the only, the only way I try to kind of put it in our context is many of you have been to Falls Creek, all right? So maybe you grew up in this church and maybe, 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 maybe Falls Creek was kind of a yearly thing for you, big youth camp, everybody gathering from Oklahoma, you know, six weeks of, you know, five, six, seven thousand kids coming together for a week of worship. So you got that, okay? Try to merge that with your family vacation, okay? So can, can you put those two together, you know? So your family road trip vacation merged with a week of Falls Creek, and that may be a little bit like what the, the, the God's people in the Old Testament felt about going to the temple, all right? So in verse 1, David says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Now, he's going to say similar things all through the psalm, all through this psalm. He's going to say, say, you know, man, I love your courts, God. I love to be in your prayer. All of that is really geared toward him saying this, man, I can't wait 
to gather with the people of God and worship. I can't wait to be in the presence of God's people and worship with them together. All right, so, so don't be confused. David is not talking about the physical temple. All right, so I don't think he's saying, man, God, the temple is beautiful. The architecture, it's in a Spanish style, and it's this. David's not saying that. He's not, he's not talking about the actual physical building, all right? Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because we need to get our theology straight about exactly what do we believe about buildings, okay? So let, let's review that real quick. Can we do that? Let's just review what do we believe about buildings. First of all, we don't believe God needs a house, okay? Are we all on the same board there? Okay, God does not need a house. In fact, here's what, here's what the book of Acts says in Acts chapter 17, Verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. All right, so God doesn't need a house. All right, even when they, in the Old Testament, when they were building the temple, they, they knew that. They understood that, that, okay, this is not like God's house where he's going to stay. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, Who is able to build him a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place for, to make offerings for him? All right, so nobody's confused in the Bible about, okay, God lives in the temple. If we're going to go see him, we got to go there. Okay, nobody's confused about that, but it was a place where they would go and gather and worship together, all right? But as the Bible progresses, and by the way, please remember that the whole Bible is about Jesus, right? It's, it's one of the greatest evidences of the legitimacy of Christianity, right? So whenever you're talking to people of other religions, man, one, one of the trump cards that I like to play is, is that, look, I mean, there is no other religion like this because the whole Bible from beginning to end is all culminating in Jesus, and the people that wrote it didn't know that, right? So I was talking to a guy the other day, and he's like, well, you know, it's just all a made-up book. You know, some guys made it up. And I'm like, well, that was really skilled then, because the guys thousands of years before the New Testament are writing these things about the temple and about, about the veil and about the Passover and about, about the blood and about the lamb. And then all of that culminates. They don't know it. They, they, they can't put their heads around it. It all culminates in Jesus. Like, Jesus fulfills all that. He becomes all of that. It's all about him. Like, it really wasn't about the temple. It really wasn't about the veil. It really wasn't about the sacrifice. It was all about the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, all right? And so these guys didn't know that. In fact, when Jesus came, they, they, they couldn't put their heads around it. And so how could they have made up something they didn't know, right? You see what I'm saying? So the whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, he starts referring to himself as the temple, right? So in John chapter 2, Verse uh, 19 says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now the Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple. See, they're, in their mind, he's talking about the building, you know, down the block, there's the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember what he had said, and, and, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And so Jesus begins to, to talk about him, his own body as a temple. Now, why does he do that? Because the temple was the place for, for the Old Testament believers. It was the place where you would go to meet God. It was a place where you would gather to experience God, to meet God. Jesus is where we go to meet God. Does that make sense? Like, we don't go to a building. We don't go to a geographical location. Jesus is the manifestation of God to us. We go to him. In fact, in Hebrews, when it, talks about, when it talks about Jesus, it talks about him as the veil of the temple. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Right? So you remember in the temple, 
Yeah, this place was called the Holy of Holies. It was where the presence of God would be. The, only the high priest once a year could go in there. And when he went in there, he had to go through the veil, the curtain, right? This big, thick tapestry that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. And he could only go in there once a year. All right, now, in Hebrews it says, Jesus is the veil. How do you get to God? Through Jesus. He's the curtain, all right? So, so, so what we see is, God, God never, in, in the entire Bible, it was never understood that he's going to live in a certain geographical lo- location in a building. And then as, we, as the Bible begins to unfold, Jesus is the temple. And then when, when the book of Acts comes on the scene, guess what happens? What happens is we see that born-again believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and they become the temple, all right? If you didn't know this, this is a, this is a game changer here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are the temple. All right, so if you're a believer here today, if you've been joined by faith to Jesus, guess where God dwells? Where does God live? He lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God indwells every born again believer. Romans says, if he does not indwell you, you do not have him. You're not connected to him. You're not born again. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. All right, and so, so, so the temple of God in, in, in our day and age is the people of God, especially when they are gathered together. All right, and so back to Psalm 84. When David, when the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, he's really not talking about, hey, that's a great building. He's saying, how awesome is it? How beautiful is it when, when the people of God come into his presence? Now, look at the language in verse 2. Okay, verse two, the psalmist says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. If you were here last week, okay, if you were one of the three, no, there was more than that. There was at least 30 or 40 in this service. I think we had 120 total. Um, If you were here last week, we looked at Psalm 63. And the great thing about Psalm 63 is it whets your appetite to say, man, God could satisfy, satisfy my soul. In Psalm 63, the psalmist David, he's, he's talking about, man, I thirst for you. I hunger for you. Your steadfast love is better than life. All these, all these phrases, these pictures of, of God totally thrilling and satisfying your soul. All right, that's possible. Isn't that cool? Like, like, like if you're here today and you're bored to death with God and with everything, you know, you just came because someone made you come or, or you're looking for something. Man, what an encouragement that I, I can show you people throughout the scriptures that give testimony. God will satisfy your soul like nothing else can. And that, that's where we were at Psalm, at Psalm 63 last year, not last week. Now, where Psalm 84 goes is connecting that joy in a person's soul with praise. Okay? Connecting the joy in a person's soul with praise. Now, stretch your imagination, okay? Verse 10, David said, or the psalmist says this, A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now, what we believe about the Bible is that it always tells the truth. In other words, people aren't lying when they, when they, when they express things. So the psalmist is saying, Here, here's how satisfying God is. A day in your presence, that's better than a thousand other days. Now, I really believe that there's people in this room that would say that about other things, okay? So, in other words, I, th- I think we can get in our heads how that could be true. But I think there's probably people in this room that would say, man, one day in a deer stand with the monster buck, you know, who trots up, you know, and goes in and turns broadside to you and says, right here, be fine, you know? I mean, 
that day, that one day, man, I, I, I know there's guys in this church that would say, that day, one of those days is better than a hundred other days. I bet there's people in this, this church that would say, man, one day on the beach, you know, one day on that, you know, white sand, like flower, waves coming up, sun shining, got my lemonade, my Kindle. One of those days would be better than a hundred other days. I bet there's people that say, you know what, one day, credit card, shopping at the Mall of America, you'd be wrong. That's not better, all right? But anyway, you know, there's lots of other things, right? There's lots of things that, that you know, you would say, but how many people would say what this guy is saying? How many people would be so thrilled with the character and the promises and the hope of God that they'd be able to say, man, one day, one day in the presence of God with the people of God worshiping is better than a thousand elsewhere. David goes on to say, I'd rather, this is verse 10, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let me, let me put that in contemporary language. I'd, I'd rather open doors for folks at the back of the gathering of God's people than I would own Trump Tower. Okay, that, that's, that's literally the, 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 the contextual interpretation of that. That's what he's saying. And so just for the sake of getting our, our minds connected here, I think this is healthy to do. I did this when I was studying the passage. I want you to fill in the blanks, okay? How would you fill in the, these blanks? I would rather worship with God's people than, what, what could you put in that blank, right? Like, I'd rather gather with God's people and be in his presence and be caught up and be satisfied with him than I would, what? You know, what could you put in there? Surely you could put in there, go to work, you know? Sure, surely, I mean, I would think, you know, what else could you put in there, though? Let, let's, let's turn it around. This is a lot easier. Let's turn it around. So switch the question around. I would rather blank than I would worship with God's people. What would you put in that blank? What, just honest, I'm not asking for your out loud answer, but just in your own soul, be honest with yourself. What would you put in that, what, what would you put in that blank? I'd rather sleep in than I would worship with God's people. I'd, I'd rather... I don't know what. I'd rather go to a ball game than worship with God's people. I'd rather catch up on housework than worship with God's people. I'd rather get the yard done than worship with God's people. I'd rather visit the grandkids. What would you put in that blank? Like, what stirs your soul? Here, here's the question. What satisfies your soul more than that? Okay? And I, and I think we just got to be honest. Like, there may be things in that blank. You know, don't, don't be afraid to say that. Okay? Because we're all working toward this better thing. Okay? But, but we need to start there. Now, now, think with me about the connection of joy in God Okay, our joy in God with praise, worship, gathering with God's people. Here's my question. Can those two be separated? So, could you be completely satisfied in God? Like, like Psalm 63, you know? Could, could you be reading your Bible at home and, I mean, you're just pulling truths out and you're saying, man, God has done this and God has done that and, and this is what he will do and these are his promises and your soul is, just like Psalm 63, you're leaping inside saying, man, God is so sad. Okay, what's the connection? Could, could, could that be happening inside of you and yet you not praise? Think about that for a second. Could that be happening inside of you and yet there not be praise, there not be worship that comes out of you? C.S. Lewis said no, okay? And here was his reason. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is, it's a point of consummation. You understand what Lewis is saying there? Lewis is saying, Part of the joy in God. So, so as we experience that joy, for us to continue to experience it, it's got it's to it's finish in praise, right? 
So, so think of a baseball player, okay? So let's, let's imagine this baseball player, he's got a pitch coming in, okay? And when he connects with that pitch, that connection point is the joy in God, okay? For the sake of our illustration. Is it possible for him to stop right there, right? So you got a guy up at the plate, he's got a fastball coming in, he connects. Is it possible for him just to stop the bat right when he connects? No, and some smart oak is going to say, well, it's called a bunt, Pastor. Have you not watched baseball? <laughs> well, you're not swinging, right? You see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying? I'm saying if he's actually swinging at it, okay, I just wanted to get that out because I knew somebody's going to, you know, afterward, it's called a bunt. Yeah. Okay, so he can't just stop. Does that make sense? Like, like what, what, is, what, is he, what, is, what has he got to do for it to be a homer? He's, he's got to follow through. Okay, so I believe what Lewis is saying, he, he didn't use this illustration, this is, maybe he'd be like, no, Jason, that's not what, you know, but I, I, th- I think what he's saying there, and what I believe about the Bible is, your joy in God, in, or, in order for it to be complete, it's, it's got to follow through in praise. Does that make sense? It, it's it's got to express itself. It, it, as you grab on to, to God's goodness, it's got to follow through in worship. Right, that's why when you read through your Psalms, and I know we're only hitting like every 10th one or so, we're, we're moving pretty fast through these, but if you would sit down and read all 150, it'd be like a machine gun at you. Praise. I mean, it is constant. I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever counted how many times in the book of Psalms you are commanded to praise God, to praise the Lord. You're encouraged to praise Him. You're given examples of what it means to praise Him. I mean, it's just like bam, 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 over and over and over again. Why? Because here's the reality. If you are joyful in Jesus, if your soul is being satisfied in Christ, if, if, you, if you're grabbing on to all of his goodness and you are, you're feeling what David feels in Psalm 63, if that's happening in you, you're going to praise. Now, another question for you. Okay? Another question for you. Is it possible... Is it possible for you not to, how do I want to ask this? If you have that joy and if you have that praise, is it possible just to keep it to yourself? This is, this is a more interesting question because I think I may get a little pushback on this. But, but is it possible, like, let me give you some examples. You're driving through the mountains. My, my examples are all geared toward this. I don't think it's natural. Could it be possible? Maybe. Could it be possible for you to, be so, actually, no, I don't think it can. <laughs> so overwhelmed with joy in God, but then you just keep that to yourself. There, there's nothing in you that wants to gather and share that with others. I think that's completely unnatural. How many times have you been driving through the mountains and you go around a curve, you're with your family, you got the kids in the back, you go around a curve and there's this bull moose, you know, right by the road, just huge, enormous, you know. How many times do you just look at that and you're like, oh, what? Wow! You know, but you just keep it to yourself. You just stuff it all down. And you just keep driving. You know, like a month later, you know, you, know you, 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 you take a picture as you're going by. A month later, you're like, you know, kids are looking through you. you know, hey, Dad, where'd you see this boy? Oh, you were in the car too. I just didn't alert your attention to it. You were playing on your iPod, you know. <laughs> Nobody does that. Let me give you a better one. College football, okay? Now, let's, let's establish some things here. Do college football fans praise their team? Yeah. Like, it is the greatest example of praise on the planet Earth, right? I mean, they, we've got some folks in this 
church that, you know, whatever their team color is, they don't buy any other colors, you know. I mean, that's the only colors they, pre- uh, they buy. You know, I mean, they're, they're so caught up in, in praising their team, okay. Now, let's say their team's playing for the national championship, okay. National championship, it's coming down to the wire, and their team pulls through in the final seconds, touchdown, they win. What normally happens? What is the pattern of that? Here's what happens. They're in their chair, and they, they, this incredible joy wells up within them, and they put their hand over their mouth, and they just keep it to themselves. They just, oh. Because they, they, want, they want to savor it, right? For them, just themselves alone. And, and in fact, you know, there's other people in the room, and they've got to leave. They, they leave. They go out in the backyard, and they get in the, in the garden shed, and they're just, oh, you know, they're just, you know, happy, but, but they got to keep it to themselves, and they get their composure, and they come back in the house, and they speak to no one. They go right to bed, you know. The next morning, they go to work, and someone's like, did you see the game? They're like, no, 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 no. You know, they, I, I want to I savor it. I want it all to be mine, you know, and they, they keep it. That never has happened in the history of the planet Earth, okay? Never. I, I, just, I, I mean, really, think about it. That never, ever, that is the most unnatural, weird thing in the world. What happens? I don't get a chance to watch I used to like college. I, I don't get a chance to watch it very much. I still enjoy it, but I, I just don't. But, but I know when the game is playing, you know why? Because, like, the, the internet lights up, like, you know, I mean, there's a surge in power, you know, when, when, whenever the team wins, because everybody is sharing it. Everybody who's happy about it anyway, right? They're, they're calling everybody. They're, they're, they are seeking out people who will share in their joy. And here's the weird thing. They are seeking out people that they know even wouldn't share in their joy, and they're praising their team to them. They cannot shut up about it. True or not? Absolutely true. I mean, they cannot keep it in. So why? Okay, so what, what, what I, the example I just gave you, and I think we're all agreed on it. What we're rejoicing over is the truth that one, one group of young men ran a pigskin ball over a line more than the other. That's, that's, that's the truth that we're rejoicing about. All right, let's, let's pull that over, and let, let's try something else. How about the truth that you were going to hell, and you were going to be under the judgment of God forever and ever, but God in his infinite mercy and steadfast love came to rescue you, and he sent his own son to put on human flesh and to live the perfect life, and then to die a brutal, torturous death in your place to take all of your iniquity, all of your crud, all of your your sin, all your filth upon himself and then to gloriously defeat death and come back on the other side three days later and raise from the dead so that you could be joined to him and that all of his righteousness would be put in your account and all your sin upon him so that he would return someday and he would defeat all of his enemies and he would set up a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness righteousness dwells and that in his presence would be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Now, I know it's my opinion, but I do believe that those truths are bigger than the pigskin one, okay? And so, so should that inspire more joy in our hearts? I believe it should. Should that be more satisfying to our soul? I believe it should. Should there be praise that results from it? Absolutely. Should that praise be joined with others? Absolutely. 
what, what I'm telling you is, what I believe Psalm 84 is a picture of is the absolute necessity of corporate worship. I believe that will happen. I, I, I believe it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the obstacles. It will happen. I, I, was, I was in an Islamic police state not long ago where you could lose your life for converting to Christianity. And there were believers who met in that city. I met with them unashamedly. They couldn't help it but to meet. They wanted to gather. They wanted to join together. They wanted to come and sing and praise and brag on Jesus. Had to. Let, let, let's, could, could we connect this with the last couple weeks? I, this is something that, it happened in my heart, and I thought, man, I want to share it with you. But I was thinking about the last couple weeks. So Psalm 51, what, the big take-home, takeaway for me out of Psalm 51 is all of my sin is connected to unbelief. The New Testament says that too, but Psalm 51 is such a striking picture of it, right? So here you got David who commits adultery and then kills a guy. And then in his confession, he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned. That's verse four. And, and you remember why he says that? It's because every sin is simply the root of it. The reason you got into that sin was because at that moment, you did not believe God. At that moment, you didn't treasure God. At that moment, you didn't want God. At that moment, you didn't seek God. That's, that's why he got into that sin, okay? And, and so if that is true, then the way not to sin is what? To believe, right? The way not to sin is to see his glory, to see that he's totally reliable, he's totally faithful, like we can depend on him for everything. Okay, so, so now, now go a week ahead to last week, Psalm 63. Here's a guy, David, who tells us, man, it is possible to be so overwhelmed with God's greatness and glory that your, your soul actually thirsts for him. Like you hunger for God. Like, like you're overwhelmed that his steadfast love is better than life. And, and, now, and now today in Psalm 84, where, where you see, see the psalmist saying, and not only is it possible this joyful in God, but then your joy is, is ramped up even more as you praise him, and it's ramped up even more as you bring other people and as you gather with other people to praise him. Now, one of the practical applications of that is, is that worship becomes one of the greatest defenses against sin. Right? It's the way you battle sin. So if, if me gathering with you guys and lifting up praise and, and my heart being stirred, if that, if that helps me believe and reminds me and stirs up my affections for God, then sin has less of a hold on me. Could worship be a weapon? Is that possible? Some of you guys like weapons. I mentioned weapon and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm going to listen for just a few minutes anyway. Is he talking about weapons? 2 Chronicles 20, king named Jehoshaphat, he's a good guy. Man, he's one of the few good kings in this section of scripture. Good guy. He's, he's getting ready to go to battle. These, these armies are attacking him, and, and so he prays. And here's what God tells him. This is, this is really cool. So Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, you can turn there if you want. Verse 17, here's what God tells him. You will not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> Do you hear that? Hey, you're not going to have to fight. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And so God basically tells him, hey, don't worry about it. Man, you're not going to have to fight. I'm going to fight this one for you. Okay, now here's my question. If he believes that, what would be the expression of that? Like, okay, so if this guy, he hears a word from God, and if he totally believes it, my man, guys, God is going to rescue us. God is going to save us. God is going to fight on our behalf tomorrow. 
What should we do? Yeah, 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 right? Here's what he does. Verse 21, when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire. You know what he does? He says, choir, yo, get your robes on. You know, hey, singers, you know, instrumentalists, guys, get ready. As they went out before the army, he puts them in the front. Now, you got to be pretty confident that God's going to do what he's going to say he's going to do to go ahead and put your choir in the front, right? Like, like you're pretty convinced. Like, if, if you're just like halfway convinced, you're like, hey, I think God may help us here. You go ahead and put the dudes with the swords in the front, right? But if you're convinced, hey, we aren't going to need to fight, put Bonnie and Deborah at the front, you know, send them in first. Because we're not going to have to fight. We believe God. And then here's what happens. They start to think, sing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. That's their song. Verse 22, and when they began to sing and praise the Lord, God set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come from, against Judah, and they were routed. They begin to praise, and God destroys the enemy. So in other words, I don't think I'm making this up that praise is a weapon against temptation. I want you to work out in your mind the implications of then what if you are not praising? What if you are not gathering? Think about that for a second. I wish we had time to to look at five, six, seven, eight. We we don't, man, we're out of time. Um, But but if we did, (laughs) I... you would see some great stuff here about traveling to like 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 what's in a guy's heart to get to worship God to gather to worship God. He talks about strength. He talks about those who in heart in their heart is the is the 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 highway to Zion. Um, there's a lot of this that really doesn't doesn't relate very well to us. Um, I was thinking about India uh, when I was in India. One of the things that impressed me. Uh, the guys always impress me that come to the pastor's conference because they'll ride their bikes for 100 miles or whatever. They'll leave two days in advance. But when we went there this last time and we had that women's conference, it's the first time we'd ever done that. And when we got there, the tent was already set up and everything early in the morning. And there were women who had slept all night under the tent. They had traveled in, they'd walked for days, and then they slept together, kind of huddled up for protection underneath the tent out in the open. And the same ladies were dancing like we, 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 we ran out of time because they wouldn't stop dancing because of their happiness to be there in worship. And, and, you know, I just thought, wow, you know, you walk, you walk for two days, you sleep on the ground under the tent, and that's how excited you are to be with the people of God, to be with other believers. But can you imagine if you're, if you're one of, you know, three or four Christians in your village and you get to come together and be with a whole bunch of Christians? And I mean, I think that, that kind of makes sense. But I was trying to think, you know, what, what does it mean for us? You know, I mean, what are the difficulties of us, you know, coming and gathering and worshiping and, and, like I froze, like, like I can't think of any, you know, like maybe, maybe you have to get up a little earlier, but really, do you guys, I mean, this is the last service, this is the 11 o'clock, like how late would you sleep, for real, do you not have any kids, what, what is it, I mean, like we get up at the same time, you know, we don't have a choice, so that's, I don't know, that didn't apply, I mean, what, what, what are the challenges, you know, Anybody get shot at on their way here, or did you? There just isn't. So, okay, so I jumped to small groups. All right, all right, here, here's where we go. All right, small groups. So, small groups, sometimes you've got to clean your house. I really don't think you do, um, personally. But, but, you know, I mean, some of you, you think you have to. It just makes everybody feel bad. Why do you got to make yours look so good? And then, I, you know, we go home, like, we live in a dump, you know. But 
I guess you're not encouraged, you're not, you're not excited about encouraging us, so that's why you do that. But anyway, you know, some of you feel like you got to clean your house, so maybe that. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, we just don't have very many difficulties to getting together. And so the middle of this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us when he's talking about going through the valley of Bacaw, the desert. They make it a place of springs. In other words, they kind of turn the desert into an oasis, you know, from strength to strength, verse 7. You know, I, I do think that applies. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God's eye. Because I, I think it's work to worship. I, I bet if we could sit down and have a conversation about that, I bet you'd agree with me. Because it's hard, it's hard work to actually focus on God, isn't it? It's hard work to actually focus on his attributes, to grab onto his promises. That's hard work. And it does take strength. All right, but let's get to verse 11, because we can't miss this one. This is a jewel. So verse 11 is the fuel for the, the worship. So, so this, whole, this whole psalm, he's been saying, man, I can't wait to get before God. I can't wait to get with the people of God. It thrills my soul to worship. And, and so you might be asking, why? <laughs> why? Where is that coming from? Well, it's coming from all worship stems from truth, okay? So the more truth that you grab onto and believe, the more, more excited your heart is. The more truth you don't believe, the less excited your heart is. And so, so the psalmist throws in some truth here. Verse 11, here's why he's so excited. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let's run through those real quickly. The Lord God is a sun. What's he saying? He's saying what Jesus said in the New Testament, that he's the light of the world, okay? And not only that, but I got excited when I read that because in Revelation, when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, listen to what it says. Verse 22 of chapter 21. And I saw no temple in that day, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun. There's not going to be any sun in heaven or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. All right? So the Lord God is the sun. He's a shield. We all know what that means. He's our protection. He's our source of security. He's the reason we don't need to fear. He's the one who takes away our anxieties. All right, he bestows favor. That's another word for grace. In other words, God dumps his riches upon us. I love that verse in Ephesians 2, 7, where it says that God's gonna put us in Christ so that for all eternity, he's gonna dump his riches upon us. God shows favor to his people. He bestows honor upon us. It's a word that's translated glory. In other words, God brings us into his glory. And then there's this, this great phrase. It's my favorite. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Man, that, that verse has helped me a bunch in my life. When, whenever I've thought that God wasn't giving me what I needed, you know, I really want this, God, why, why didn't it happen? I, I come back to Psalm 8411. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. In other words, God, God, is, God is freely giving me all that I need for maximum joy for all eternity. And so if there's something I don't have, it's probably because... It, it doesn't fit with my maximum joy for all eternity, right? There's something that he's doing in me. It, I, I think Paul, when he wrote Romans 8, his greatest chapter in the Bible, I think he was thinking of Psalm 84 because he says this in Romans 8. He says, if God is, is for us, then who could be against us? Verse 32, he says, he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I know I ran through that, but let me give you the gist of it. What, what is the length that God's willing to go so that you are happy forever, so that you're satisfied, so that you're forgiven. What's the length God's willing to go? Well, he, he gave his own son to be butchered on a cross. And so here's Paul's thinking. If God would do that, then why would I doubt that he's going to give me everything I need? That, that, that's, that's, that's the reason there, the, the, the reasoning. And, and so here's, here's what verse 11 is doing. The psalmist is grabbing onto these great truths 
God is a son. God is a shield. God gives grace. God gives glory. He gives favor. He gives honor. No good thing does he withhold from, from those who walk uprightly. And, and that's like putting wood on his fire. <laughs> does that make sense? It's stirring up his... That's what you've got to do if you're going to worship. You've got to stir up the affection of your heart with the truths of God. I got done with the 8.30 service. And um, I had a guy come up to me and, and say, Hey, can I get together with you this week? He said, I'll just be honest. So there was a time in my life where I felt all of that. There was a time in my life where, man, God was so satisfying to my soul. There was a time in my life where I had great joy in him. But he said, I've, I've, I've kind of grown away from that. And I'd like to talk to you about that. I said, sure. But can I, can I talk to you for just a few more seconds? I hear you zipping up your Bibles. I know, I know, I know. It's okay. If you got to go, go. That's all right. You won't offend me. I, it's hard to offend me. So that, that's fine, really. So three things. What do you do if you don't feel it? What if you're here today and you're like, man, the psalmist says one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And you're like, you know what? I'd, I'd rather be shopping. I'd rather be deer hunting. I'd rather be on the lake. I'd rather, I'd rather be anything but here. This is killing me. What, what, what if that's the case? A couple things. Number one, in Psalm 42, the psalmist feels sort of the same way. He's kind of lost his joy. And you know what he does? He preaches to himself, right? You, you ought to be a preacher, just to yourself at least, maybe others. But he, he says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you down? Why are you depressed? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. You see where he's going? Hope in God, I shall again praise him. In other words, he's saying, man, soul, man, you're, you're messed up right now. You're, you're, you're dead, you're flat. Why do you feel that way? You got to hope in God because you'll praise him again. So number one, preach yourself. Number two, number two is I think you cannot isolate yourself. I've been here 20 years and I've seen a lot of people drift away from small groups, from corporate worship. And let me, let me tell you my, my informal study. I cannot think of one single person that when that was the trend of their life, that their spiritual life improved, got better. Their life in general, I, I, even not, not just their spirit, their life in general. I cannot think of one person that life in general got better. Like they were better in their soul. I can't think of one. In Psalm 73, um, there's a guy who's slipping. He's slipping his faith. He's stumbling. He says that in verse one. And, and he says the reason is he's like, he's like busting it out to try to live for God, serve God, love God. But his life's hard. And he starts looking around. He's like, man, look at those wicked people. And look at those wicked people. And look at them. Man, they're, they're not living for God. And their life's easy. And, and it, it gets bitter. But then, then this happens. Verse 17. So he's, he kind of reaches this height of bitterness. And then in verse 17 he says, Until I went to the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned their end. And then the whole rest of the psalm, he goes the other way. He's like, oh man. I got the right perspective, and wow, I see now, Lord. All the way down to, you know how the psalm finishes? He, he says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God's the strength of my heart, my portion forever. I guess what I'm saying is, sometimes when you feel that way, the, the answer is not get away from the people of God. The answer is get in there. You, you got to see it. You got to see it. Third, make sure there's not unconfessed sin in your life. Psalm 66 says this, I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. That's what we want, right? High praise is on my tongue. But listen to the next verse. 
If, though, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So what he says there is, man, my heart's full of praise. But you know what? If I'd have kept sin in my heart, if if I'd have grown bitter, if I'd have not repented, God would not have listened. So those are some things maybe just to start with. I know that's probably a sermon on its own, but when you don't feel it, I think that's what you should do. You know what? I hope you make some practical application today. Um, if you got just a second, I'd like to give you mine real quick. Um, here's, here's three things I'm going to do. I, I've been doing this first one. I've, I've been really trying to focus in my personal prayer life just on praise. You know, it's so easy just to start asking God for things when we pray and forgetting that, you know what my soul really needs? It really needs to praise. It really needs to follow through on that joy thing so that it's magnified. Number two, this may be a little thing to you, but I'm kind of excited about it. Monday morning is my family Bible study time. I don't, I don't schedule any meetings in the early morning so that I can have a Bible study with my family. We're, we're going to do some singing tomorrow, and I'm, I'm going to play some Christian music while they're getting up. Like, I'm going to pray some, you know, just some hymns and songs of praise, some stuff they like, and, you know, while they're eating their Cocoa Puffs or their donut or whatever, we're going to be doing that. I don't know. I'm just going to try it. And number, number three is, man, this whole idea of pilgrimage, like in Psalm 84, where they're all, like, gathering to go, you know, worship God. I love that. I love those traditions. And so I'm, I'm going to try to think of a tradition for Easter. You know, Easter, worship service in the morning, obviously, and everything. Uh, three worship services, and then when we go to lunch, and then you know, we don't have service in the evening. And so that, that, to me, is a perfect time to do something that my kids will know. We, like, did this every year. I, I don't know. I'm thinking through that, okay? Don't hold it to me. But those are some ways I, I want to incorporate worship into my life. And so you ought to have some of those as well. Not mine, but, you know, how, how are you going to? How are you going to apply this? How, how are you going to stir up your own soul so that you can say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere? Father, help us today. God, I, I pray that you would give us a hunger for you, a thirst for you, a desire for you. Stir our souls, God, in great excitement. God, we believe what the psalmist is saying. We believe that you're able to satisfy our souls more than, than anything else, more than anything in life. And so God, Please make us a worshiping church. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.